Please take out your Bibles tonight and turn to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount. Before we get to the text that we're going to begin with, I want to restate and reaffirm some very basic, very biblical, very rock-solid truth. Number one, God is love. 1 John 4 and verse 8, God is love. Number two, Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. John chapter 1 verses 14 and chapter 14 verse 9. God is love. Jesus was God. Therefore, being the exact and express image of God, as the Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, because Jesus was the exact representation of God, he was infinite love incarnate. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, everything Jesus was, was only ever the highest and holiest expression of godly love possible or known to man. Nobody would argue that. In addition to those things, Jesus never once sinned. Not only was he perfect love in everything he did, everything he said, everything he taught, every way he responded. Not only was he infinite love incarnate, God in the flesh, but he never once sinned. He never responded incorrectly in any way, shape, or form. But knowing that he was love and the express image of God and that he never sinned, therefore... To follow in Jesus' footsteps and to do exactly what Jesus did can never be wrong. Used to have those bracelets. What would Jesus do? And the whole point was, was to remind people in this given situation, what would Jesus do? Because Jesus never did anything wrong. So I need to figure out what Jesus would do in a given situation because that's the right thing to do. Years ago, I preached a sermon when that was really popular. Not only what would Jesus do, but what did Jesus do? Because we know what Jesus did do in many circumstances. And tonight, we're going to look at a few of those. To follow in his footsteps and do exactly what he did can never be wrong or sinful or anything less than love itself in its highest form, no matter what the uninformed world around us may call it or categorize our following him as. You know, the world does not understand. When we follow in Jesus' footsteps, they do not understand that style of love, godly love. They, they don't get that. But due to the world's influence today, it is possible that some Christians might possibly have forgotten what true and godly love means and looks like as defined in and by the life of Christ. Let me show you what I mean. In the very first public sermon that our Lord and Savior ever preached, we remember that, that he was baptized in Matthew chapter 3, and, and we get that, and we go through chapter 4, but in, in Matthew chapter 5, we have the first recorded sermon of our Lord and Savior, his, his first recorded lesson. 
What was the main topic or one of the main topics or themes of the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What was one of the main themes of his very first lesson that love incarnate preached to people? What was it? If you remember our study, you will remember this. One of the main themes or topics of Jesus Christ was to call out by name and expose the total pride, arrogance, and hypocrisy of two of the major, most prominent, well-known, and religious denominations of his day. He did so by name. He did so in the public forum, in his first sermon. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 20. Don't take my word for it. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to understand that the scribes were a particular division of the overall Jewish denomination. They were a sect. The scriptures call the Pharisees the sect of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a denomination of Jesus' day. And Jesus says in verse 20 to the crowds, If you follow in the footsteps of this division, this group known as the Pharisees, this religious zealous group known as the Pharisees, if you follow in the footsteps of this religious group known as the scribes, you're not going to heaven. Jesus called them by name. It's right there in your Bibles. He didn't do this in private. This is the Sermon on the Mount. There's people all over the place. There's scribes, there's Pharisees, there's the public. And Jesus, in his first sermon, comes right out and says this. Now, if you recall our Bible study of some years ago, you will also recall that this is kind of the apex of the entire Sermon on the Mount. Everything prior to Matthew 5 and verse 20, he's leading up to the fact that your heart's got to be right, you've got to be the light of the world, you've got to be all of these different wonderful things... And he, gets, he leads up to this point that the Pharisees are not that and the scribes are not that and unless your righteousness surpasses theirs, unless you're everything he said prior to that, you're not going to heaven. Well, if you ain't going to heaven, where are you going? Pretty, pretty obvious. There's only two choices here. We are not confused. Everything after Matthew 5 and verse 20 is an explanation of what he said in 520. He goes on to talk about their supposed righteousness and the level of righteousness you need to have. He goes through that in chapter 6. He goes on in chapter 7, verses 15 through 27. And he compares them to wolves in sheep's clothing. And he says, unless you listen to me and build your house on the rock, you're not going to heaven. And all of it comes back to the apex of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 and verse 20, where he calls out two religious denominations of his day, or divisions, by name, and says, if you follow them, you're not going to heaven. You see that? Is that what Jesus did or not? It's exactly what he did. This means yes, this means no. We've had this discussion. That's exactly what Jesus did right there in Matthew 5.20. How loving is that? According to the Bible, that is the most loving thing that could have possibly been done. 
Why? Because Jesus Christ did it. And he was ultimate and sinless love incarnate. Was Jesus God in the flesh? Yes. Is God love? Yes. Was Jesus love in the flesh? Yes. That's what love in the flesh did. He called him out by name. You see, Jesus, the reason that was loving is he had to stop anyone who would listen to him from following and going to hell with them. Moving on. Do you remember how later on, you don't have to turn there, but you remember later on in Matthew 11 and verse 11, Jesus commended and held up John the Baptist when he said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Do you remember Jesus saying that in Matthew 11, 11? Well, do you remember how John the Baptist had started his public ministry? Several months, maybe as many as six months prior to Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount and saying what he did in Matthew 5.20, do you recall how John the Baptist had started his public ministry? You recall what John the Baptist did right in front of those crowds, right in front of those crowds that went out to hear him from Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan in Matthew 3.5. Do you remember how John the Baptist, how, who was commended by Jesus... Love incarnate. Do you remember how he started his ministry? Let's take a look in Matthew 3. Matthew 3 and verse 7. But when he, that is John the Baptist, saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, two religious divisions or sects or denominations, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Hey, it's really good to see you guys. Wait a minute. No, that's not quite what it says. You nest of snakes? You brood of vipers? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And don't think to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you, God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You nest of snakes? The two named denominations of his day. There can be no mistaking the fact that when he says in verse 10 that every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, his message is the same that Jesus had later on in the Sermon on the Mount. A nest of snakes are people that do not bring forth good fruit. And he lets them know in no uncertain terms that they're not headed for heaven. And he lets everybody, the whole crowd... He's out there and there's scribes and there's Pharisees and people from all over Jerusalem, it says in verse 5. John the Baptist stands up in a public forum knowing exactly who these people are. It says what's recorded right there in the scripture. And Jesus Christ, love incarnate, later commended him. Moving on. By the time we get up into Matthew 9, and we're going to spend the vast majority of our night in Matthew. By the time we get up to Matthew chapter 9, this very clearly named and powerful religious denomination of Jesus' day, known as the Pharisees, they start firing back at Jesus. But seeing as how they don't have a biblical leg to stand on, Jesus... By lovingly, but firmly, because love is firm, Jesus lovingly explaining to them what the scriptures say regarding their error in Matthew 9 and 12, that only makes them mad. 
only makes them very angry because they don't have a biblical point. But because they stubbornly refused to repent and humble themselves and accept and obey what God said, when they understood they had no biblical leg to stand on, what did they do? They started attacking Jesus personally. By the way, that's the way it always works. Did Stephen in Acts chapter 7 tell the truth? Stephen, Acts chapter 7, when he related the history of the Jewish race, did he tell them scripturally the truth? Yes. And when they could not argue it, and they realized they didn't have a biblical leg to stand on, what did they do? They stoned him to death. They went after the messenger. We see this in Paul's missionary journeys repeatedly, as we pointed out in this morning's lesson. I have one quick question before we continue through Matthew. Question. Is Jesus Christ still sinless and holy, godly love incarnate by the time we get to Matthew 15? Is Jesus still the same? Is he still love incarnate by the time we get to Matthew 15? Yeah, of course he is, because Jesus doesn't change, Hebrews 13, 8. So let's look at the example in Matthew chapter 15 of what true, godly, and ultimate love in the flesh did and the example that true, godly, sinless, holy, righteous love in the flesh the example that he set for us to follow in that chapter when it comes to how to deal with the most powerful religious denominations of the day and their anti-biblical false doctrines. Matthew 15, verse 1. When the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, sorry, then, the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They, wash their, they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. Jesus answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. What did Jesus say to them? Why don't you listen to what God said? Why do you transgress what God said in order to keep your man-made tradition? Today, that wouldn't be considered very loving, but by God's definition, that's what love incarnate said. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who cursed his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift from God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Love, in the, love incarnate, when facing a denominational teaching of the day, a powerful religious group of the day, love incarnate said, you aren't keeping God's commandment. You're keeping your teaching that, that violates God's commandment. And then he says this, he says, hypocrites. Now some people stand back and say, wow, that's not very loving. That's what love did right here, love in the flesh. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. That is the most loving thing that could be said at that point. How do I know that? Because Jesus said it, and Jesus was love personified. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. 
Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know the Pharisees were offended? Do you know that denomination that you addressed and you told them they were wrong and you told them they were not following God? Do you know you offended those people? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. What we learn from this passage in Matthew 15, verses 1 through 4, regarding what pure and sinless and righteous and infinite godly love does when it comes face to face with such denominational error and their biblically contradictory doctrines is this. Number one, we learn that righteous and God-approved love confronts their error. Number two, we learn that infinite and righteous, godly and God-approved love exposes their error. And number three, we learn that infinite and righteous, godly and God-approved love seeks to correct their error. Which more than likely then only offends and enrages the vast majority of the members of that denomination just as it did here in verse 12. However, as we go on to further discover in verses 13 and following, infinite and righteous, holy and godly love does not stop exposing their errors and explaining to others how vitally important it is for those others to avoid those teachings and those denominations that are not teaching God's word. That's what Jesus did. Not only did he confront them and seek to correct their error publicly. But he goes on to explain to his disciples not to have anything to do with them. I have something I want you to remember. And I've got it highlighted here on my notes. And if you don't get anything else from this lesson, get this. You cannot, capitalized, underlined, emboldened, you cannot guide and direct people to heaven who want to go at all cost without offending, alienating, and driving away those who do not. Did you get that? You cannot guide and direct people to heaven who want to go at all cost without offending, alienating, and driving away those who don't want to go at all cost. People, there's two different paths. And if you're going to help guide those people on the straight and narrow that want to go to heaven, if you're going to help them to get there, if you're going to point them in that direction, then that's going to offend those who don't want to go at all cost Because they're headed in a different direction. That's just the way it works. Amos 3.3 says, Can two travel together unless they be united? I have a quick question before we continue. Is Jesus still sinless and holy, godly love incarnate by the time we get to Matthew 16? Is he? Yes, he is. So what does holy and sinless, righteous and godly, infinite and God-approved love incarnate say and do when confronted by two of the most powerful and prominent man-made denominations and their doctrines of his day in the first 12 verses of Matthew 16. I'm going to tell you what he does. 
love. The embodiment of love incarnate. The example we are to follow. Exposes their reasonings as false. Matthew 16 verses 2 and 3. He calls them and those like them hypocrites, wicked, and adulterous in verses 3 and 4. All of those terms are there. This is to a major denomination of his day. It's what love in the flesh called them. And then he departs from them and goes and tells others to stay away from them and exactly why in verses 4 through 12... Not only that, but he names those groups by name, not once, but twice in the process, just so there's no mistaking who he's talking about. Look at verse 6. Then Jesus said to them, now he's talking to his disciples now, he's taking his disciples aside and he's talking to them, but he wants them to make no mistake. He loves them so much he does not want them to fall into the error of these denominations of his day. And so he talks to his disciples and he names by name that religious division. Jesus said to them, verse 6, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Do not follow the teachings of these two sects of God's people. And he names them. There's no getting around it. He calls them, but Jesus did that. Verse 11, he tells his disciples, How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Twice in private, he, say, he names them by name. This is the kind of godly love that Jesus exhibited for us to follow. Despite the extreme resistance or consequences that it might cause, Matthew 20, 17 through 19. I have a quick question. Is Jesus Christ still the sinless and holy, godly love incarnate by the time we get to Matthew 23? Is he still God in the flesh? Is he still loved by Matthew 23? Oh yeah. Is everything he does still done in love? Oh yeah. So... What then does holy and sinless and righteous and perfect godly love say and do when publicly discussing two of the most powerful man-made denominations of his day in Matthew 23? I'm going to tell you. There's no denying this. Love incarnate God in the flesh, not once. Not twice. Not three times. But seven times. Seven times in Matthew 23. Very specifically names these man-made denominations by name. And he exposes their doctrinal errors for the whole world to see. Not just then, but we're still talking about it 2,000 years down the road. So that no one else will blindly follow them. Because unless your righteousness surpasses that of these two religious groups, he says, you're not going to heaven. Let me show you where those are. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Look at verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Here they are, he's named them. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites. For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. He said to this denomination, it wasn't going to heaven themselves, 
And they didn't allow anybody else to go in because they didn't allow anybody else to follow the truth, but they only had people following their way of thinking. He said, woe to you. And he names them. Verse 14. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He names those divisions again. Hypocrites. For you devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will see, receive the greater condemnation. Look at verse 15. Names them again. This is the third time. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He doesn't say, woe to those people who. He comes right out and names them. For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte. When he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Well, Jesus, that was pretty unloving. No, if we think that's unloving, we have bought into the world standard in the 2000s today of what real love is because God said this is the most loving thing because Jesus did it. Did Jesus ever sin? Did he ever do wrong? Was everything he done done in everything he did done in love? So was this. In verses 23, 25 and 27, he would name them again so that nobody would be mistaken about who they were. Jesus wanted it absolutely clear because that's what true love does. Now, after all these little divisions and denominational groups got together and realized they could not refute what Jesus said, what Jesus spoke in love as he tried to rescue them and get them on the straight and narrow road to heaven, as he reached out for them, as he would die for them, because they would not listen to him. They all got together, and along with the help of one of his very own disgruntled disciples, who never understood true love in the first place, apparently, they finally ganged up on him and they got him. You see, it's not that Jesus ever sinned in anything he said or did, because he never sinned. And it's not that he ever showed or responded to them with anything other than God-defined love, because he never did. He never sinned. But how they finally got him was accusing him of blasphemy simply because of those two righteous things he had done. They accused him of blasphemy even though he had done nothing wrong. But you see, Jesus' followers today, if we would be considered faithful by God, are commanded to follow Jesus' example and in his footsteps by becoming more like him every day, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. We are commanded to become more and more like Jesus every day. Now, I've got one more section in my notes highlighted and it says this. Just as our love for Christ is proven by our obedience to his commandments, John 14 and verse 15, so too our love for the Lord is shown by our following his example, John 13, 12 through 15. And brethren, what I want for you to understand tonight, don't let the world pollute your idea of love. What I want for you to understand tonight, that following Jesus' example, amongst other things... But amongst those other things, following his example still includes loving people enough to call out by name and to publicly and privately expose those groups and their man-made doctrines which deny the biblical truth. 
Do we get that? The Apostle Paul commanded this same thing when he said in Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the simple. Do we understand that not only... Are we commanded to show our love to Christ by following his example, which includes exposing by name when necessary those groups that are not biblically following God's word? Do we understand we are commanded to do that? Do we understand that we are commanded as much as we are commanded to do anything else? We are commanded to expose such things. Turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. This is not something that Jesus did and we're not to do. This is righteous, holy, and sinless love. And we're commanded to do it. Ephesians 5 and verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. When a person says, a denominational group says, all you've got to do is believe. And that causes people to disobey God's command to be baptized for their salvation. Is that disobedience? Yes, they're forcing disobedience. We are to understand that God's wrath is going to come upon those people who are teaching things that will not allow people to obey God. Therefore, verse 7, don't be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Look at that verse. It's not enough to say, hey, you know, it's not a self-righteous thing. It's not a harshly judging thing. It's not an unloving thing or an unkind thing for us to say. We're not going to be part of the ministerial alliance because the things they teach are not biblical. That's not wrong, it's not self-righteous, it's not holier than now, it's just simple fact. We're not going to be part of a group who denies what the Bible says about baptism and salvation. We're just not going to do it. That's the first part of that verse. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. But it's not enough just to say, I'm not going to be part of that. Look at the rest of the sentence. If we say, well, I'm just not going to be part of that, or I'm not going to support a, a work that does not teach the truth. Okay, that's all well and good, but that's only halfway home. Because that passage says, have no fellowship with them, but rather, what? Expose. Do you all have that word in your Bible? Matt, is that word in your Bible? Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Sorry, I'm just picking on him. Exposed. That's what it says. You are to expose them. That is what is commanded. The Apostle Paul himself would go on to follow his own instruction. How many people did the Apostle Paul expose? How many groups that were trying to bring Old Testament circumcision into the churches in the Galatian region did he expose? How many did he call by name? 
Remember Hymenaeus, Philetus, Alexander? And he said their poisonous or gangrenous doctrines of deception would spread like wildfire if people didn't watch out for them. He named them by name. We're having a study on Sunday mornings in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ, love incarnate, the Lord himself, in Revelation 2 and 3, he very specifically named some religious groups of people that were wrong. And he called them by name. These religious, man-made divisions, denominations. He named the Nicolaitans. Remember that? He named the synagogue of Satan. He talked about the doctrine of Balaam and Jezebel, the so-called prophetess, and her followers in doctrines. He gave them names. He wanted people not to mistake who he's talking about. He wanted to be real clear. Why? That's what real love does. Because it cares enough about the souls of other people to say, hey, you've got to stay away from that because they're wrong. And where they're leading you is not to heaven. That's what love does. So where does that leave us today? In a world where everybody's right and nobody's wrong, in a world where you can't say somebody's wrong, where does that leave us? Same place it did them. Jesus told his disciples repeatedly in the four Gospels. He said, people are going to hate you when you follow me. People are going to hate you when you tell them the truth and you show them the truth. He said it in places like Matthew 10, 16 through 39, Luke 6, 22 through 26, John 15, 18 through 16, 3 to name but a few. There's only a few little differences today from back then. The difference today is, is if we come out and we say, well, this religious denomination is wrong and we call them by name. We put the name out there, just like Jesus did, just like love always does. People in our world today who don't believe in God, they're not going to accuse us of blasphemy because to accuse us of blasphemy would be to admit there's a God and most men going to do that. So they're not going to say, well, that's blasphemy. You know what they are going to use? Another term begins with B. Bashing. Well, you're bashing the denominations. You're bashing this group and that group. You call them by name, you're bashing. The next time that happens. The next time that you name a religious group or some member of this congregation or I name a religious group and say this religious group's teaching is wrong. Here's why it's wrong. Here's black and white book chapter and verse. They're not teaching what the Bible says. Shouldn't go there because they're not going to take you to heaven. Next time that happens, somebody says, well I'm not, you know, that preacher, that person, they're, they're bashing. I want you to remember three things. Number one, I want you to remember this lesson. And I want you to remember what true and godly love, according to Jesus Christ himself, always loves God and those that are lost enough to do when it comes to false man-made doctrines and the denominations that teach them. I want you to remember the acronym NEW, N-E-W. This is what we are commanded to do when it comes to them, N-E-W. It is an acronym for name them, expose them, and warn against them. That's what we're to do. We're commanded in Ephesians 5 to expose them. 
Number two, the second thing I want you to remember the next time any member of this congregation, myself included, simply speaks the truth in love because we know that a teaching is not what the Bible says and we're trying to warn people not to go in that direction because that ain't the direction home. And we get accused of bashing instead of blasphemy because that's the term of the day. Number two thing I want you to remember is this. You cannot guide and direct people to heaven who want to go at all cost without offending, alienating, and driving away those people who desire to go in the other direction, period. Can't do it. If you're going to please those people that are headed to hell, then you are not going to please those people that are headed for heaven. You can't please both sides going in opposite directions. You can't do it. It's heads or tails. Can't be both ways. You flip a coin, it's going to come one or the other. And the third thing I want you to remember is this. Romans 14 and verse 16 says, Does not, Do not let your good be spoken of as evil. If you believe that Jesus Christ was love in the flesh, that he was God Almighty, God who is love, and that he never sinned and never said anything wrong, then everything I showed you at the beginning of this lesson was love to the nth degree. Was Jesus good? Then don't allow what is good to be spoken of as evil. Don't let somebody get away with saying what Jesus did or some member of this congregation did or this preacher did or somebody else around here did that was good and right in the example of Christ. Don't let somebody say that, well, it's bashing, it just hate-filled. Don't let them get away with it. Scripture says, don't let your good be spoken of as evil. Bible also says in Isaiah 5, 20 and 21, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And he goes on from there. Before we close tonight, I want you to picture something with me for a moment. I want to leave this picture with you. Let me develop it just a little. I want you to imagine, based on everything we read out of Matthew's Gospel, personal feelings aside, all of that, what we read out of Matthew's Gospel about Jesus, about love incarnate. Imagine with me for a moment that Jesus Christ was here today. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, love incarnate, was here today. Would he, based on what we have seen in the book of Matthew, identify by name and expose as falsehood those man-made denominational groups and doctrines that are preventing people from following God's plan of salvation, would he? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. What Jesus did in the first century, if he was walking around here today, that's what he'd be doing. And that's exactly what he would do. We know that because that's what he did. Would Jesus expose them and expose them by name personally? Yes. We've seen that he loved enough to do that. Would he do it privately while he's talking with his disciples? Yes. We've seen that he loved enough to do that. Would Jesus publicly and from the pulpit... Would Jesus publicly and from the pulpit, name by name, in front of everybody, for the whole world to hear, those denominations, those large, rich denominations that are not following God's word, would Jesus Christ do that? 
He did it in the Sermon on the Mount. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of this particular religious group, you're going to hell with them. And he called them by name. Because he loved people enough not to want to see them go. But let's assume Jesus was here and he was preaching that from up behind this pulpit. Let's assume he was doing that. And then you go out in public one day. And somebody from town happened to be here that morning. They heard Jesus teaching and naming the Pharisees of today. And that person recognized you as one of his disciples. And they said they didn't want anything to do with your teacher, capital T, because he'd been bashing other religious groups. What would you do? Did you turn and run like Peter and the boys did? What would you do? Or would you stand and explain and defend the truth that when people care enough to expose evil, trying to keep people from following it all the way to hell, that that's the most loving thing you can do and it's got nothing to do with bashing anybody? What would you do? Somebody once said, and I don't know who, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men to do nothing. What would you do? Jesus himself once indicated that he who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Luke 16 and verse 10. The question that I want to conclude this lesson with tonight is this. Can Jesus Christ, not Doug Dingley, not anybody else, can Jesus Christ trust you and me to love him and his truth enough to stand up and explain and defend it the next time that somebody says, well, I'm not going to that church because they bash the fill-in-the-blank denominational name. Somebody who hasn't got a blessed clue of the godly definition of love. Can Jesus depend on you to stand there and explain to that person, that's not bashing, that's loving, that's what Jesus did. The question is, the conclusion. Does anybody here tonight that needs to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, if you do that, take this on. Understand that you're going to have to defend the gospel. And if there's anybody here that has been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, maybe you've slipped back, maybe you've let the world get its tentacles around you, and you've kind of slipped when it comes to understanding that true love confronts evil that will take people to hell. True love names, names, and doctrines. If you need the prayers of the church, if there's anything we can do for you, please come to the front as we stand and sing.